standard issue for all women. Hi, Hannah here. I have just burnt my thumb on a microwave dinner, which seems like the perfect segue into this week's chops, in which I talk to TV chef and all-round gem Navia Hussain about her new series, which is starting on the BBC on December the 10th. It's called Nadia's American Adventure, and it's about how immigration has affected America's culinary offering, and it's absolutely cracking. So I suggest that you watch it, and I suggest you just crack on with enjoying this podcast. All I'm going to say is, if you like us and you'd like to support us, one of the ways that you can do that is to give Standard Issue a five-star review wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. I thank you. Until next time. Hi, Hannah here. I am joined over Zoom by Nadia Hussein. Hello, Nadia. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Chef, author, TV presenter, and we are here to talk about your new series, Start Soon on the BBC, and I watched last night, and I have to say, I absolutely loved it. Thank you very much. Have you watched both episodes? I have watched both episodes, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. It's really scary when you do something like this, because you never know in the moment you're having a great time and you're filming this and but it's this moment now when I know other people are going to watch it yeah it really scares me I'm like oh what are they going to think are they going to hate it and and I'm my own worst critic anyway so I'm like forever criticizing myself so it makes me really happy to know that you enjoyed watching it everybody loves a cookery show but I think cookery shows are at their very best when they use food to tell us something about people and that is exactly what this did were you surprised how much you learned about America from what people eat? Oh, absolutely. My main focus going out there was immigration and how different people from around the world who have settled in parts of America and how that making it home has allowed that kind of food landscape to really change. And I think that was really interesting. And that was a really good starting off point for me. And actually, I was quite surprised at how diverse the food out there mm. I think this is mostly the fault of movies kind of have this image of especially places like LA the kind of Hollywood black tie red carpet celebrity culture and yeah. then you've got the fad diets and then you've got the thing that we think of America burgers fast food mm. milkshakes fries that kind of stuff so it was fun dispelling those myths I think for myself more than anything else because I think when you've got a country as enormous as America and I don't often look at a globe or an atlas but when I do I realize how teeny tiny we are yeah. and how enormous America is so in in terms of having an adventure out in America it was really difficult to kind of pinpoint where I wanted to go and I was so shocked so shocked at the food the culture, the people, it was it surpassed all my expectations. Certainly with a lot of Brits, their first landing place in America when they go there is somewhere like New York. And New York is full of very European style foods as well. You know, pizza is huge in New York. So that's something that doesn't feel that radically different from what we eat over here. Yeah. But yes, where you were in, in, say, for example, in Los Angeles, I mean, that was an absolute just mishmash of styles and it looked absolutely glorious yeah well when I was out there one of the things that really hit me I was in LA and when I think LA I think the Hollywood sign I think celebrities and it's kind of the hot spot you have this image and in my head I was hoping to be surprised but equally ready to not be but it's a big old place. And luckily, you know, I had the opportunity to meet some incredible people. One of the first things 
that I did when I went out there was I went to a Guatemalan night market, which to me, Guatemalan night market, Los Angeles, you don't put the two together. You wouldn't naturally. And we were out there at night. I say we because what people don't see is the camera crew and everybody else that's with me. Like to be able to go out and experience the, like we literally just still jet lagged and we're thrown into this Guatemalan night market where your senses are on overload. The smell, the sounds, just the lights, everything, everything about that is so immersive. Mm. Like you just, you are in this experience and you would not know from that little strip of road that I was walking up and down, you wouldn't know you were in LA. You would not know. And there were people there who had traveled for lots of reasons. You know, they were either running away from something or they don't even have residency there yet. You know, so they don't have their paperwork. So they, they are there. They don't know how long they're there for, but they're all, they, everyone had a story and everyone was there for a reason, all immigrants. And for me, that was really interesting. But in that kind of little strip of road where they had this market, they came alive. They were alive. Mm. I heard their sad stories, but within those sad stories, there was this light in their eyes and there's this life that you don't see anywhere else. And that, that was through the food. They were cooking and serving food for people who would drive by. And, and like, these are people who miss that little taste of home. Yeah. Drive by and pick up some fried chicken or some grilled steak or some pupusas, like, Papusas, they sit in your stomach and they'll keep you full for a week, but they were delicious. These maize patties that filled with vegetables and then cheese on top, just like absolutely incredible. And you wouldn't get anything like that anywhere else. When I saw you walking through that market and there was a guy and he was cooking on the shopping trolley, which was just yeah. amazing. My gut reaction was very, very British. We have kind of a sterile attitude to food. We want to know, were people wearing gloves? We make people like wear hair nets. We worry about how many calories there are in things. And that was just food for the sake of food rather than <laughs> thinking about anything else. Yeah, I mean, like they were pretty ingenious, you know, taking yeah. what they have, the little that they have and turning it into something they could cook on and it was portable so they could just Mm. finish up and roll it away done done for the (laughs) night yeah i think that's ingenious i think that's that's the stuff of dragon's den not only are they making a living they're also doing something that they love and like my dad always says some of the best food gives you diarrhea (laughs) yeah I I have a really weird stomach anyway the vast majority of stuff doesn't agree with me but it doesn't (laughs) stop me eating it or drinking it me neither (laughs) me neither talking about your dad I think for me that one of the most interesting conclusions you came to at the end of this was that immigration is fascinating and yet you are the child of an immigrant and you hadn't actually really spoken to him that much about it I wondered why you thought that was and also what you've done about that since you've returned. Um, I think it's tough growing up between worlds, which is something that I've always struggled with. You know, being British and growing up in England and being a part of a very traditional Bangladeshi home is always going to be something that's... As growing up as a child, so much of me wanted to be entirely British I wanted to almost ignore the Bangladeshi part of me yeah and I kind of shunned it for such a long time and I think I can't shy away from the fact that immigration and and leaving home and rebuilding all over again is a really difficult journey for anyone let alone someone who's trying to then raise a family provide for his own family provide for his family back in Bangladesh you know it's a lot of responsibility and I think that's something that 
I find I think my parents are incredibly stoic in that they when they came to this country, like many immigrants, they just get on. They get on, they don't complain, and they just do what needs doing to get by. And and I've never met hard workers. Like immigrants are hard workers. They work really hard. They don't fight to fit in because really all they're doing is fighting to survive. Mm. And that's what's important to them. And I think that really resonated with me when I was out there because a lot of the people that I met, they fought to survive. And ultimately, that's what my parents did, which allows me the luxury to really explore who I am, because my parents didn't get that opportunity, because they worked so hard just to provide for us that they didn't get a chance to stop and ask, oh, am I British? Yeah. Am I Bangladesh? Who am I? What am I? And what's my purpose? They didn't have that luxury. Whereas for someone like me, me, my brothers, my sisters, as first generation British, we have the luxury to explore that. We have the luxury to say, oh, there's the bits of me that I like that are British and the bits of me that are Bangladeshi. And, and how do I embrace the two? Ultimately, my parents didn't have that. And lots of immigrants don't have that opportunity. But, you know, I met some amazing people out there when I was out in LA, when I met the rodeo girls, like being Mexican was so important mm. to them that they, you know, they picked up the language. They've taken, you know, like riding horses and taken something that's so important to their culture and continued that on. And I think since coming back, I've kind of looked at some of our traditions and some mm. of the things that we hold dear in our culture and what have I done to preserve those. And ultimately, the conclusion I came to with my dad was there wasn't very much. But what we did have was food. Like I said, Dad, do we ride horses or anything? Do we ride <laughs> buffaloes? He's like, no, we definitely don't. But, you know, my granddad was a rice farmer. He was a buffalo farmer. And... As much as I can, like my son and I have started to do started doing research on rice and 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 how you know how you grow it and and why it's important and why it's a staple. And so we're just taking something that's inherently something that was like important and and something that you know provided for us as a family and and learning more about it. And that's about as best we can do. But little things like eating with our hands or eating cultural foods from mm. our village. The food is what keeps us alive. And that's why I learned going out there was that it was the food that keeps their culture alive. And that's why it's so important for immigrants to not dilute what they've learned and keep cooking what makes them who they are. The way we talk about immigration in this country, I think it's always talked about in a kind of a sort of abstract way. You kind of forget that you're talking about actual people. You know, you tend to talk about statistics and numbers. And one of the things I found most interesting was the taco truck at the mosque. It's not just about cultures mixing with the predominant culture within the society they've moved to, but with the other cultures that exist in there already. And I thought that was yes. really, really fascinating. For me, that was a complete twist because actually often you find immigrants, like say if you've moved from, like for my parents, moving from Bangladesh, you know, that kind of fight between being British and Bangladeshi and integrating within Britain. Yeah. You forget there are already other people, pockets of people who have travelled from all over the world. And you realise that actually even those cultures can't necessarily always integrate with each other. Yeah. And w whether it's language, whether it's food, whether whatever it is, whether it's culture, there are lots of reasons why it's not always that easy to integrate. And I found that when I met Rita at the taco truck, and it all started off as a bit of a as a bit of a laugh because essentially it was somebody within the Trump administration or somebody high up in the government yeah. who said, oh, well, as a joke, they said there'll be a taco truck at every mosque now. And she essentially took that and yeah. turned it into this amazing, amazing mm -hmm. thing where she literally takes taco trucks outside mosques, which allows people from the 
Latina, you know, from the Latin community to mix with the Muslim community. And that was pretty special. Like uh, for me to take something that was seen as negative, she twisted that and turned it into something positive. And, you know, they do charity events, they raise money for families, they help the community, and they do that by putting two immigrant communities together. Mm. And I think that's pretty special. I agree. Both episodes were very moving. Like there were bits in it that I thought, oh, this is just lovely. Or this is just horrifying, which is what I felt a lot of the time that you were in New Orleans. Now you openly admit when, when you're there that when Hurricane Katrina happened, you were young and you had a lot of other stuff going on in your life and you didn't pay that much attention to it. I mean, you were pretty shocked when you saw the state that New Orleans is still in for a lot of its residents. I think because we have access to news and social media, you almost become desensitised to the reality of what's actually happening because you see images, you see news, you see footage. You can refresh your feed so quickly that you can go on to the next thing very fast. You do become desensitised to it because the news is moving so fast. And I think when it happened, I was very young and I was at a very young family and it was one of those moments in your life where you kind of think, why why didn't I pay more attention? to what was happening because you do you just kind of like you get on with your life you watch it you feel sad and then you move on and very rarely I don't think I would have ever had an opportunity if I wasn't doing this to get into the center of 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 all of that and see what the real effects of Hurricane Katrina and how it's devastated certain communities especially the Ninth Ward and to be able to do that myself like that was a massive shock for me I was kind of slightly ashamed that I didn't really understand how bad it was but the truth is a lot of us don't really understand because we don't get to walk where I walked Mm. if you're going to go to New Orleans you're going to go to Bourbon Street and you're going to have a great time and you're going to enjoy Mardi Gras places like this are often forgotten so that's why it's really important for me to visit places like this because although it's a sad story and although it was devastating we've got to look at what this one man has single-handedly done to keep that community going and it's yes it's a sad story and I have to say I really emotionally struggled with filming all of that because it was really hard I felt guilty that I didn't know enough but equally I got to cook with him got to cook with his mum and he got to tell me his story and some of it was just horrific and shocking and but it was lovely I got to enjoy that but it also means that we get to highlight this wonderful man, we get to highlight his story and we get to put that, we allow that to get into, you know, even if it's just for a fleeting moment, people Mm. get to think about him and what he's done. And, you know, and and hopefully that just, hopefully that sticks with people as well. Well, to be honest, now isn't a bad time for people to be thinking about what they could do for their community, full stop. Yes. Now, you mentioned his lovely mum, number one which is, you are correct, the greatest nickname I've ever heard. Yes, Um, ever. She was a brilliant woman, but this is full of brilliant women. And I think what I really enjoy about this is it reminds me a little bit of what Lucy Worsley does, the historian, in that she never says, and hey, now we're going to talk about women. You know, she just starts talking about women because you don't need to announce it. And women are incredibly central to to this. I mean, was that by design or was that by accident? Are you looking for women's stories or did you just stumble across them en route? I naturally do tend to kind of go towards looking for very strong women, Mm. but strong women have a habit of finding me as well. So um, 
it just it's weird how it works I just think it's the way the world works and I just sometimes I just think the universe lets it happen yeah I'm so lucky that I get to we were talking to Burnell but number one just happened to be there and actually I was like can we talk to number one please like because she wasn't naturally supposed to be in lots of it but I was like no 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 no, no. let's get her back because she is like you know like she's telling me stories about her younger son who had when that dam burst he swam all the way to the nearest bridge which was something like eight miles away and swam through crocodiles and people and debris and he swam through the night to get to this bridge to be rescued and you don't hear these stories and she just like all she said to me as a mom can you imagine what that was like for me when I said to him he needs to evacuate and he said no I won't evacuate can you imagine so all of those things like I'm really lucky in that I get to meet incredible women and it makes me if anything every incredible woman I meet on my journey whether it's intentional or whether it's by accident I take a little bit of that strength with me wherever I go. And I think it just builds me up to be stronger. And a little bit of me goes to my little girl. And and, and that's how we share our strength, I think. Now, you were talking earlier about the night market. And the one thing I would say about this when I watched it last night was you were outside and surrounded by people almost the whole time during this. And it actually gave me... like a stomachache with desire to be around people and be outside and be at a festival or be at a market or just be anywhere where life was going on because I have been in my house essentially for the best part of a year. It was incredible to watch it. So with that in mind, I wondered how the last year has been for you. I know you've been busy and I know you've been doing things, but what's it been like for you to spend 2020 in a way that you probably weren't planning on spending 2020? I know. I mean, I was intending on doing a lot more travel, but life has a funny way of stopping us, doesn't it? it yeah. Just it just and and when I watch things that I know I'm going like, to, it's a part of me is going to be a bit sad watching that because that was a you know why didn't I? I kind of it's that if only it's the if yeah. onlys like if only I had you know spent a little bit more quality time with my mum or um, if only I'd in those moments where I said oh I've got to rush off. I wish I'd sat that extra hour, you know, things like that. It's the, it's the, it's the year of what ifs, I think. And, and, and it's really, I've really, as the year comes to a close, I'm kind of trying to walk away from the what if and say, actually, you know, like there will come a time when we can be together again. And, and I have to remember, we have to remember what 2020s taught us. We have to remember that, you know, a lot of us, we've lost lots of, you know, my husband's lost lots of friends through COVID. Um, Some still sick. My father-in-law's lost lots of his friends and they're in, in a top tier so that, you know, and it's quite rife where they are. So, you know, it's been a really difficult year. And I think when I watch things like that back, I just, we mustn't forget that travel is a privilege. And, yeah. you know, it's something that I think a lot of us took for granted. And it's something that I don't, I don't think I'll ever take for granted again, because when we can get up, I just think it's human nature. Once we're allowed to go freely and do as we please I think we'll go 10 times harder 10 times faster and the and and the environment will it will impact the environment it'll impact our mental health but you know as we've been given this opportunity to slow down that's exactly what we should do and for me as much as I'm kind of quite a busy person I like staying busy all the time I'm always doing something it's been really eye-opening to see how little time I give myself just for me and so I've spent the last you know, just in the last whole, in the whole year, I've literally only given four weeks 
to myself where I'm sleeping on time, I'm eating well, I'm exercising, I'm doing things that I want to do. And I've started to learn how to knit, which has Wowzers. made me, yes, which is not easy, it seems. No. But I'm learning. My nan taught me to knit. And she wasn't the world's most patient teacher at all. Right. And everything I knitted either started out really narrow at the top, like, like in that shape or in that shape. It never just went down in a straight line. Right. Yeah. It's, it is a skill I, that I've never managed to master. But hey, who knows how long we'll be I've in got, this lockdown. I've got, exactly. But I've, been, I've got plenty of time now. So I'm doing something. I'm doing the things that I enjoy. Yeah. And it's the little things like stopping and looking people in the eyes and actually listening to them. That's yeah. something I realise I don't do. So I try to stop, put everything away and say, yep, I'm listening. Actually, go back to mental health. You, you, there was something else that I found really, really interesting. When you went to the Quinceanera, which uh, a bit like you, my eyes were just like, how much money? How much money? Is all I yes. kept thinking. But then right at the end of it, you said something that I thought was, was very, very interesting and quite profound, which was, you know, being a 15-year-old girl, is shit this is a culture and society that actually says hey we love our daughters we love our 15 year olds they're worth our time and worth our money and i found that incredibly interesting point yeah because i've never i've never been a part of a culture where women are celebrated yeah um so for me to watch a man work two three jobs just to do and whether it's like keeping up with the joneses because there's always an element of that when everybody's doing it there's always going to be an element of keeping up with the joneses but um the fact that you know you work job after job daughter after daughter to provide the biggest best quinceaneras is like that's pretty special i just say you know what i am i i I am going to take this i'm going to take this and i'm going to do this for my own little girl because that is something to be celebrated. The fact that they, it's not even, like in most cultures are surrounded around the men quite often yeah. and men are celebrated and, and I've grown up seeing men being celebrated. So to walk into a culture where the men have to work their backsides off to celebrate the women makes me very happy, can I just say. <laughs> so I will very much be taking that and doing it all for myself (laughs) yeah we should have retrospective ones it's such a wonderful welcome into womanhood yeah uh and there's no shame attached it's just beautiful it's like it's such a wonderful thing and I just I found it I found it really moving I have to say I I found moments where I I I was choking up because it was so beautiful to see her dance with her dad but also it was really good to see her really come out of her shell and yeah I have a question that's just for me (laughs) The series that you did earlier this year, I mean, obviously, we've gone baking mad in this country in the last year. For a lot of people, it's something to do. And also, you know, we are rewarding ourselves with food and all of that. I live by myself and I have gone completely the other way, as in I have cooked less in the last year. I'm now eating salad out of a bag for dinner quite a lot because after being by myself for such a long time, you kind of like... Oh, it's just for me every single night. Uh, nobody else is going to go, hmm, like that's nice. And I'm the only person that's going to have to do all the washing up that I create and all of that stuff. So I wondered if you had any tips for for, for people like me who are living by themselves and maybe have lost a little bit of the joy of cooking of um, what, what you think yeah, we should be doing I, to get it back. I absolutely, I, I mean, I totally get that. I If I was just cooking for me, I don't know that I would be so adventurous in the things that I cook yeah. because 
To be fair, I'd happily have a cheese sandwich for dinner some days <laughs> and, and, a, and a can of tomato soup, happily. Um, but I totally get that. Um, and often, you know, like I'll cook things or I'll do recipes based on the fact that you may, ha- you may be living with a family or have small children. Yeah. And a lot of my recipes and books are tailored towards families. But I talk about the joy of cooking and, and, and it's, that's not necessarily about, it's not necessarily always about feeding other people or having a crowd or feeding a family. Sometimes it's about just saying, you know what, I'm just going to step step aside, put everything down and do this because this is therapy. Yeah. Um, and so what I love to do, what that, and that's for me cooking, that's what cooking's about. I'm literally making a rice and beans dish for my kids that takes three days to make. Wow. Three days. And I told my kids, I started Tuesday night and it will be finished tonight. You realize that's three days of my life, kids. So you better appreciate it. <laughs> so like I make them appreciate it, but I think it's really important to just stop. And when, when I don't have massive crowds or nobody's coming around or nothing like that, I tend to spend a whole day cooking. So I put everything aside. I don't like answer my emails, don't answer my phone unless it's super important. And then I just spend the day cooking. And what I like to do is then like portion them up because my husband's a big eater. So I portion them up into individual meals. And so what happens is as I've done that, I put them away and then I mix them up. And then he doesn't know what he's going to get. And so often when I'm really craving something and I'm not sure what I want, I just go into the freezer and I'm like, oh, well, let's see what's in there. Pull it out. I'm like, I didn't even know I cooked that. <laughs> and that's really exciting. Yeah. So I think for someone who's kind of lost the joy in cooking, it just give yourself one day. I reckon it will come back. Okay. Yeah. And then put everything into little individual containers, stick it in the freezer. And I promise you having that pick and mix of an array of meals is really exciting. And it does make you want to have that, full day of cooking again funny you should say that that was always our favorite when we were little was that my mum would basically cook I mean I think it initially came from my mum cooking the end of everything that was in the freezer but then she would call it a buffet and it would appear on the table and then so you'd have like a fish finger and then you'd have literally everything that was left in the bottom but before probably before payday um, yeah, that's that's the best. Those are the best kind of meals. Yeah. One more question for you, Nadia. Can I ask you what's next? Are you able to tell us, or do, do you do you even know what's next, given the way the world is at the moment? I haven't got a clue what's next. <laughs> <laughs> I have, like the rest of us, I actually don't have a clue what's next. I am still writing, and I'm really hopeful that I can film some more bits next year. We just don't know what's going to happen so because we don't know what's happening. I really, I don't know day to day, week on week, what I'm up to. But like the truth is, someone like me who is doing the most unlikeliest job, you know, I never imagined that I'd ever be doing this in a million years. To be doing this and creating space for people like me who wouldn't ever imagine themselves in a job like this. That's that to me. That's the joy of the job that I do is that I get to do something incredible that people get to watch, and you know, it creates space for people like me whether they're immigrants, whether they're women, whether they're people of colour, you know, they see someone like me and it's about creating space for them. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Nadia. This has been brilliant. Thank you. Standard Issue for all women.